Good morning. Well, I wasn't actually expecting a response, but... <laughs> yeah, welcome. Thank you. Um, this morning we're going to be reading from um, Luke chapter 11, verses 1 to 13. So if you have your Bibles and you want to join with me, or if you want to follow along on the screen, that'd be great. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each our daily bread, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and he goes to him at midnight and says, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of your fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Thanks, Ben. It's good to catch up with you for coffee the other day and hear a bit about your story. Um, Kazakhstan and... America, Australia, found a wife in Australia. It's all been happening for the Morse family in recent years, but um, great to have them part of the church community here. Hey, hello, I'm Nick. I'm apparently one of the pastors here, along with Trent and um, other um, people here. Good to see you. Yes, we are a little bit, um, yeah, as Trent said, so I won't go into all of that, but um, I think I read somewhere recently, they reckon like the official statistic, statistics of COVID in the nation, like you can times that by three or four quite easily um, to get the real number of people who have probably got it. I've been watching, I'm fairly much a statistic person, so over the last, I think, 20, 25 days, there's been a million new cases of COVID in Australia. Um, but the hospitalizations, uh, the ICU and the ventilator has, have gone down, which is very encouraging, which means it's a... Uh, either getting milder, um, we're getting more resistant, perhaps getting closer to that herd immunity. Um, 
could even be vaccines are working and kicking in. So um, those things are, are good to know, that it's not debilitating our society as much as it did a year or two back. Hey, uh, prayer. I don't need to talk to you guys about prayer. Most of you here would, would have heard about prayer, know about prayer. Many of you have been praying, some of you have been praying longer than I've been alive, I'm sure, faithful in prayer and um, you know heaps about prayer, so I don't mean to tell you anything you don't know this morning. As we journey on the road with Jesus, and we're virtually about literally on the road, aren't we? Uh, we're only 21 days away from our final service here, and uh, Tuesday night we had a bit of a, a kind of leaders, people's gathering to talk and pray and think and strategize about what we're doing. It was really good. Thank you for those who came along, and Thank you for the team that Steve mentioned that have been doing a heap of work behind the scenes. I relocated just me and Amanda last year, just the two of us, and it took a lot of work and a lot of energy, a lot of time, a lot of planning. Uh, I think some others have relocated <laughs> also uh, in recent times, and um, it takes a lot of work, a lot of energy, and uh, a lot of time. But it's, it's like, how do you eat an elephant? You know, one bite at a time, you just take one piece at a time, and, and we're getting closer, and and getting, getting on with it, and um, the, the mood of the room on Wednesday night, or Tuesday night, went from, how do you feel about uh, what relocating and moving out of here, it went from, I don't want to do that, <laughs> I want to stay where we are, to I'm really excited, um, and a whole range of things in between. So just be kind with yourself and with one another, um, there'll be a range of emotional responses to this. I think on the 24th, what, what I'm hoping to be able to do is celebrate and lament and, and grieve to a certain extent our time here and to farewell this site, um, but also secondly to look ahead and rejoice and be um, filled with faith about the future that God has for us. And I said this week in, um, in the loop, if you don't get our weekly kind of news email out, let me know and I'll add you to the list, but I said something along the lines of, we've done this before um, and we did it really well as far as I can tell. We're here, right? We've been here for 30 years doing mission and ministry, so we've, we've relocated before. We're experienced at this. We're good at this, right? Um, okay, it's only once in 150 years, granted, but um, we'll be okay. So um, this morning, as, as we journey with Jesus and as we get on the road with Jesus uh, in prayer, he, he teaches us about prayer. And just in case you're new to church or you're watching online and you're wondering why we read the Bible, well, it has the words of Jesus, um, among other things. And so that's very important for Christians to be uh, looking at the words of Jesus, to be reading them, to be learning from them, to be reminded of them and not to take them for granted. So Jesus says some really interesting things about prayer here. Um, in fact, I would almost go as far to say he may have said some things that would have shocked uh, his disciples. Uh, and the way he prayed, uh, we're going to look at that as well from another part of Scripture this morning. Now, I would think if I did a show of hands, most people would say prayer is important. Christianity is not unique in world religions. Um, lots of religions pray. Um, lots of different types of praying happens in the world. The unique thing, I guess, for Christian prayer is that it, it's in the name of Jesus, in the authority of Jesus, um, but there's one thing I've noticed too, as I've looked at prayer a bit across different religions, is that the church is, is quite unique often in the way it prays for one another. We are called to pray, um, all of us, um, to God and, and for 
uh, his guidance and wisdom and grace, but we are also called to pray for one another. We have that capacity. There's not like a special class of elite priests and holy people that, that get to do the prayers and the rest of us just kind of nod along in, in agreement. We get to pray. Each one of us gets access to the living God through Jesus, and we get to be priests you know, to one another in that praying. So it's, it's a really unique thing. Uh, about the Christian faith. But one of the things I, th- I think about sometimes is, is in my experience in churches over the years, I'm sure it's not in any way reflective of this church in any way, but often prayer meetings, prayer times can be poorly attended and can be things in which people can be quite timid and, and, and quiet about. Um, it's struck me as interesting over the years. I've been at a number of church meetings and seen people get very passionate and vocal and, and quite invested in church meetings, um, but then be very silent and sheepish in prayer meetings. And that's always struck me as interesting. I'm sure that's not true about this church, but it might be true of other churches. It's certainly true of some churches I've been a part of. But one of the questions I have is, if prayer is so important, if Jesus taught about prayer so much, if the Bible encourages and exhorts us to pray so fervently, why is it hard for us? And why, why do we all know the importance of prayer and yet lack the motivation or the application to pray? And I'll talk about that for my own life. Um, maybe that's not you at all. And you, you don't need to listen at this point because you're like, I've got this, Nick. I'm fully motivated all the time. I'm fully faithful in prayer. Um, if that's you, fine. You, you, have, you, know, you can listen to a podcast now. That's fine. Put your earphones in. But if that's not you, if you're like me, perhaps listen in and, and see what Jesus says about this. But here's a few thoughts from me why, why it's hard for us to pray. We are materialists. We live in a materialist culture. That is, we believe that the physical is reality and the spiritual is not that real at all. We believe in the power of humanity, the power of the intellect, the power of people to change things, but we don't really believe in the power of God, the power of His Holy Spirit. We're materialists. We're steeped in it. We don't know it. We don't see it. Um, But that's part of our culture. Uh, We think the way you move things, the way you change things is through human effort, planning, and, and human power. And that's certainly one way things change, but we think... Uh, prayer changing things or having influence is kind of nice and quaint. Uh, we are materialists in a materialist culture. We have doubts and unbelief, let's face it. Sometimes we just lack faith. We, we don't believe. We, we doubt prayer's efficacy and effectiveness. We've also tried prayer and been disappointed. We've prayed for things that were dear to us and people that were near to us and things that we that we really long for, and it didn't seem to change. It didn't seem to go the way that we hoped and wanted and thought that God should make it go that way. So we've been disappointed. Um, fourthly, I think prayer's hard in church because it's in the enemy's interest, the satanic dark powers. It's there in their interest to get us off prayer. Now, you think of the war in Ukraine at the moment. What, what is each enemy trying to do? They're trying to knock out the firepower of the opposition. They're trying to knock out the communication centers, the firepower. They're they're hitting fuel depots. Why? Because fuel powers war machines, which help the war. (laughs) The enemy is attacking the center of the fuel and the power of of their enemy. That's what happens in war. So I think it's in the powers of darkness interest to to pull and attack prayer out from churches and Christian lives. I think it's in their interest because it's damaging to their plans and their intents. 
And finally, prayer is just really hard work. It's actually hard work. It, it really draws a lot from us. It requires much of us. Prayer is hard work, and it, and it is difficult. Um, so there's a few reasons why I think um, prayer can be challenging. Let's go to the text that Ben read to us. And I love the Bible. I love reading the Bible. And I love stopping at places in the Bible that we don't normally stop at. <laughs> like this verse where it says at the start here, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. Okay, you could just gloss over that and go, let's move on. Let's get to the real meat of the story. Actually, what was he doing? Why was he praying? How did he pray? What did that look like? We don't necessarily know a lot. Um, We do know some things. As you look through the Gospel of Luke, you see a lot about Jesus' prayer life. And there's other parts in the Bible. I'm going to get to one in a moment, um, which is quite significant about describing how people experienced Jesus at prayer. Jesus was praying. The Son of God was praying in a certain place. Going through Luke, I'm not putting verses on these, but you can trust me, um, these following things are from the Bible. (laughs) Jesus prayed outdoors a lot. Don't see him, he would have prayed in synagogues week in, week out as part of God's people. But he prayed outdoors a lot. He prayed by himself. He spent whole nights praying to God. Whole nights praying to God. He prayed with his disciples. He prayed in public. He was passionate about prayer and he taught his followers, like in this passage, to be passionate in prayer. He prayed for others, he prayed before big decisions and he was, that's not loud, he was in prayer. Well done, amen. (laughs) He was and I'm going to get to that in a moment. Now, In a a little while, the disciples say to Jesus, would you teach us to pray? Now, again, you just read that and go, that's nice, the kind of asking Jesus, teach us to pray. Well, let's be real here. These were religious people who'd grown up every day of their lives, every week of their lives as Jewish men, praying. The day they were born, there was prayers said over them. Every day of their lives, their family, their mothers and fathers said prayers. Every week at the synagogue, they prayed with the people of God. They were praying from as early as they can remember. They were praying a number of times a day. They were praying set prayers. They were praying in private with with others. They were people who prayed, and they prayed a lot. And yet... When they started to spend some time with Jesus, they noticed something, a way that he prayed. They noticed something about how he prayed, and it it awoken an interest in them. And they said to him, and we'll look at that in a moment, Lord, teach us to pray. What they were saying was, Jesus, teach us to pray like you pray. We want to pray like you pray, Jesus, because we've been going to church for a long time. We've been praying prayers each day. We've been doing this stuff for ages. But we see something in the way you talk to God that we want to get in on. We want something of that. Um, One of the things I will say is Jesus was immersed. He immersed himself in our humanity. Um, He understood despair. He understood longing. He understood deep feeling. He understood being overwhelmed. 
He was passionate. He was emotional. He expressed emotion quite freely. We need to ask to what extent was Jesus' prayer life just culturally constrained? Was he just a product of an expressive Middle Eastern culture? Or was there something about the way he prayed that is actually informative and relevant for us down the ages? I think the latter. So let's have a look at, a, I think, a really extraordinary verse in the Bible from, from Hebrews. Another one you can just kind of read over and go, oh yeah. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, to God his Father. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, son of God, he learned obedience from what he suffered. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. Now I want us to just dive in on this verse a little bit. There's a couple of really important things in here which I want us to see and ponder uh, and consider. Firstly is the phrase fervent cries. That when people looked at Jesus and heard Jesus, his disciples, and when they talked about it later on in the early church, those who were with Jesus, and they talked about what it was like to see Jesus at prayer and to hear Jesus at prayer, this is what they said. During the days, notice it's plural, um, as we watched Jesus at prayer, what we saw was he was deeply embedded and immersed in his whole being in his prayers. He was passionate and he was completely given over to God in prayer. And that phrase, fervent cries and tears, is really important in this context. And I want to take a deep dive into a couple of New Testament words in this passage, which just draw it out in its actual, what I think is kind of like a shocking description of Jesus' prayer. The word used for cry, or loud cries, is that word krauge, um, which means loud cry or shouting. It traditionally was a word, um, it's like one of those words that sounds like what it describes. It's, like, it's, it's got like a guttural kind of, and they said when Jesus prayed, he, he prayed from a deep place of passion and a deep place of, of commitment. And it was a word that sounded and was used like croak. It was used um, like the sound of ravens croaking. So imagine that, you're like, you know, what was Jesus' prayer life like? He was like a noisy crow, yeah. Um, (laughs) He was like a croaking raven. Um, The meaning is to croak or cry with a loud and raucous voice. When When the disciples saw Jesus pray, when they heard him pray, they didn't hear, Dearest Lord, we thank thee. For thy kindness and grace. Now, you can pray like that, that's fine. I, you know, half my family are from Scotland and Ireland, so, you know, I'm right into the high, high language there. But he didn't pray with that formality and that kind of predictability. He prayed in a way that maybe scared them a bit. It was intense, it was deeply passionate, it was coming from a deep place within, like a raucous, loud cry. They heard Jesus pray. Now, what's even more stunning about this verse is that that word krauge means by itself, on its own. It means a loud cry and shouting. It doesn't need any qualification. You get the meaning. When you heard that word, you knew what it meant. 
a loud guttural cry, uh, shouting. But here's the stunning thing <laughs> in that same passage. Um, the author qualifies that word with this adjective. Iskuros or iskiros, which means strong and powerful. You don't need this adjective. If you say, oh, this lady across the street, she just started yelling at me. Like, you know what I mean, don't you? Or I was at the footy and this guy next to me was just shouting. You get it, right? Shouting and yelling convey the intent. You don't need to qualify it. But the author qualifies, when we saw Jesus at prayer, we saw him cry out loudly with passion, emotion, depth. And they put this adjective in it. When we saw and heard Jesus at prayer during his, his earthly life, we saw him cry out loudly, very strongly, powerfully. And it's amazing. And it says to me something about what the disciples saw in Jesus. And if you track through the early church, you see them gathering together right from day one. And it says things like they lifted their voices together. And I imagine the sound of that as they took hold of what they learned from Jesus in prayer. Now, I'll leave that with you. You can decide what that means for your prayer life. Um, but I think it's pretty astounding that that's the picture the New Testament gives us of how Jesus prayed and what it was like to hear him and see him at prayer. So they say to Jesus, teach us to pray. We want to learn to pray like you. And Jesus gives them a beautiful framework of prayer. I actually think the Lord's Prayer is something that we should be praying every day. It, not necessarily just in its exact form, using it as a framework for prayer. Julie talked at the start of the service about why do we praise God? Well, one of the reasons is because when Jesus taught us to pray, he said, well, when you pray, praise God. <laughs> Start with praising God. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Jesus gives them a framework for prayer. They learned something, they caught something of his passion and his intensity for prayer by listening and watching. Then he gives them a framework for prayer. Because having a plan, a framework, a pattern of prayer doesn't go against the Spirit of God being involved in our prayers. In actual fact, according to Jesus, it helps. Um, and he would know, right? So I think things I notice about this Lord's Prayer, there are many things you could notice and you would notice. Different ones um, and other ones that I haven't noticed. But I think part of praying is being planned. Actually having a pattern, a rhythm of prayer that works for you. Um, and developing a pattern and a rhythm of prayer. Jesus gives them a framework. He doesn't say, oh, well, when you pray, just kind of, you know, whatever. Just go for it, you know. Just whatever you feel. No, he says, when you pray, here's, here's a pattern. Here's, here's a pattern, a plan, a framework for prayer. And if you stick with this, if you work from this like training wheels, you'll grow in prayer. You'll grow in your ability to pray and your fruitfulness in prayer. So, so there's a plan, there's a framework that he gives us for prayer. He says, be praising, like give praise to God, um, give glory to God. He says, be personal, talk to God in a personal way. He's your father, our father in heaven. 
Talk to God in a personal way, not in an informal, kind of distant way. Talk to God like a friend, like a good father. Be personal in prayer. Be honest. Be persistent. Jesus says in the prayer, give us this day our daily bread. As Sarah Lawson might know, it is a hapax legomen. 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 <laughs> There's um, some words in the New Testament that are only used once in the New Testament. They've given this fancy Greek term called hapax legomena. And Sarah's doing her research on these single words. And this is one of them here. When Jesus says, give us our daily bread, that word daily, it's the only time that word's used in the whole Bible, uh, the whole New Testament. And it, it's a strange word, but it, effectively we think it means essential, our essential bread. So that the call there is to daily pray, be persistent. Come to God daily asking for essentially what we need. What do we really need to live and to get through this day? Be petitioning. Um, ask God. Um, give us our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. Let your kingdom come. Pray and ask him for things and ask him on behalf of others. So the Lord's Prayer is a beautiful framework for prayer and one in which we can grow in prayer and build our prayer muscles from. In the next part of the text, verses 5 to 8, we get this strange little story about some guy who has guests come at midnight. Who rocks up to someone's house at midnight? I don't know. Who does that? In this culture, to not offer hospitality was, was a shameless thing and a dishonorable thing, and you're expected to offer hospitality. So to not have food to give to people who've come on a long journey would have been a, a deeply shameful thing to experience in this culture. Um, I get it. I used to be a chef, right? And I've missed out on so many invitations to dinners uh, in churches over the years because often the person, quite often it's the woman, doing the cooking has been scared to invite me over. Um, <laughs> it's terrible. It's, pray for me. I've suffered so much. And I, 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 I get... <laughs> I get that, you know, um, you know, in some cultures, the way we present food and what to not have food in this culture was deeply embarrassing and deeply shameful. So in the story, Jesus said he goes to his friend and says, you know, knocks on his door like, help me, I've got no bread. And the friend's like, go away. It's like the middle of the night. I'm, I'm in bed. Everyone's asleep. Would you just leave us alone? Um, and it's a strange story, right? It's a really strange story. Um, and then Jesus says, well, He's not going to get up and give him bread on the basis of friendship. He's going to get up just so he'll go away or just because he's been the word that... Um, ben, what was in your translation? That word like impatience or because of his... Because of his boldness. It's another strange word and one translation, the one I'm using, is shameless audacity. Because of your friend's shameless audacity, like... How dare he? I can't believe he'd do this. Well, I'll get up and help him because he's just shameless and he's audacious. So it's a strange story um, in as much as, you know, what are we to make of it? What are we, is Jesus saying God's like a grumpy old man asleep <laughs> that we somehow have to try and wake up? No, that's, I think that's what Jesus is saying. Um, he, he's really giving us a sense of, of, of if, if this friend... Even on the basis of his friendship, if he won't help this person, how much more do you think God will help us in our persistence in our prayers? How much more will God, if this friend, he's not even going to help him as his friend, just out of leave me alone or I can't believe he's hide, you know, give him some bread, make him go away. 
he's going to help him. If, if he'll help his friend just at that very basic level, how much more does God desire to help us? How much more will he help us? And I love what uh, N.T. Wright says, and, and I'll read it. There are all sorts of ways in which God isn't like a sleepy friend, but Jesus is focusing on one point of comparison only. He's encouraging a kind of holy boldness, a sharp knocking on the door, um, an insistent asking, a search that refuses to give up. That's what prayer, our prayer should be like. This isn't just a routine or formal praying, going through the motion as a daily or weekly task. Um, there is a battle on, a fight with the powers of darkness. And those who have glimpsed the light are called to struggle in prayer for peace, for reconciliation, for wisdom, for a thousand things, for the world and the church, perhaps a hundred or two for one's own family, friends and neighbours, and perhaps a dozen or two for oneself. Th that little story is saying encouraging boldness, encouraging persistence, encouraging to expect that God does want to help he does want to come through for us. He does want to give good things. And that leads to the last section of the story here, the, the prayer uh, story, uh, the prayer teaching from Jesus. Expect good things from a good God. Jesus goes on to talk about asking, seeking, knocking. Those who ask will receive. Those who knock will have the door open. The, you know, that, that's, that's the kind of pattern he's giving us here. It's not those who ask will receive exactly what they've asked for. Those who seek will get exactly what they're seeking for. Um, it's, it's a pattern of being, a pattern of responding to God through humility, through asking and seeking and knocking and, and asking for God what he wants and receiving um, what he wants to give us. And really at the heart of these stories, one thing I see coming through is the, the issue of need. Um, there's a common theme in the, in the quirky parable, in, in asking and receiving, in, in this second story which Jesus talks about, you know, even you that are parents, um, you know how to give good things to your children. If your child asked for a peanut butter sandwich, you wouldn't give them a block of wood. You know? And Jesus says, you know, in comparison to God, like, you're evil, we're evil in comparison to God. If even as evil people, we want to give good things to children, our children, like, how much more will God? ultimately do good and do what is just uh, and he's wanting us to see that comparison now just quickly for those of you that are into uh, psychology and the hierarchy of needs from abraham maslow um, i just wanted to say this because there's basic needs that that need to be met in human life if we're to live and flourish and they go from the very basic physical needs for safety uh, for social relationships um, you know emotional needs right up to kind of you know, being creative and um, having mastery over life, self-actualization, Abraham Maslow called it in his hierarchy. So there's a lot of needs there that, that ultimately we need to meet. We don't say to someone who's starving, you know, hey, why don't you just pray about it, you know? We try and help them get food, you know? We try and meet needs. So prayer is practical. We, we respond to our prayers with action and with, um, with important responses. But one thing, if I might critique Abraham Maslow just briefly, is he didn't say is what Jesus said here and I've always of the view that no matter how brilliant and eminent and esteemed someone might be in our culture and society Jesus always has the last word and Jesus is smarter and more intellectually um, powerful than any human being who's ever lived so I always try and measure with Jesus what other people are saying and the one thing that Maslow doesn't say here that Jesus does say um, in this last part is uh, the one thing that human needs more than human being needs more than all of those hierarchy of needs is the need 
for relationship with God, need for reconciliation with God, the need to know God. So effectively, you could be poor, hungry, beaten, mistreated, no, no options, no purpose in life you know, other than basic survival, and you know God. You have peace with God. According to Jesus, you're in a far better place than a rich person in a palace with lots of adoring fans and subjects and having everything in this world without God. That's ultimately true. So Jesus says in this last part of the passage, um, and I think it's beautiful, I'm going to use the message translation. As bad as you are, says Jesus, in response to your children asking for things, you wouldn't think of such a thing. You're at least decent to your own children. And don't you think that the Father who conceived you in love will give the Holy Spirit when you ask Him? Isn't that interesting? Not will give you what you ask for, necessarily. Not will give you what you want. That God will give you of Himself. Because that's ultimately what you need. If you're struggling with health, terminal illness, serious mental, physical, emotional health problems, if you're suffering with serious financial problems, relational issues and family breakdown and all sorts of crazy things going on in your life, of course you should pray about that. We as a church community should pray about those things and pray with you about those things. But ultimately what you need what I need in any situation, any circumstances, we need to know God. We need to know that God's for us, that he's not working against us, that he loves us, that he cares for us, that he's not going to leave us or forsake us, that he's going to bring us through this deep and dark valley. He's going to be there. So Jesus said, how much more? In your time of need, in your challenge, in your particular pain and struggle that you are going through, how much more? Will God give you himself, his spirit, his love when you ask him? He wants to do that. He wants to do that. Circumstances, situations may or may not change. Like with people in Ukraine, they may get progressively worse. But in a progressively worse situation, in a situation that isn't changing how you want it to, in a painful experience that is going on and on that you don't want to go on and on, even though there may not be immediate relief now, God will give you his presence himself. And that's enough. That's enough. We sang that song. Christ is enough. Christ is enough for me. And as a church, we desperately need God's spirit, always. There's so much we can do in our own power, our own strength, our own intellectual capacity. And that's okay. But we can't do the things that only God can do. We can't transform hearts. We can't save people. We can't reveal Jesus' love to people. But the Holy Spirit can. And so we need to pray as a church and ask God to give us his Holy Spirit. And I'll finish with this great quote. I've used it before. You probably can't read that. I'll read it to you. I'm sorry. Um, my notes didn't quite format properly there. This is from one of our previous pastors, um, PJ Smith, who was pastor back in the 80s and early 90s when we relocated here. And as they were relocating here and getting ready to relocate, he wrote this in a little history book, which um, Colin was kind enough to loan me. I still have it. I'll look after it. Um, the history of this church, said PJ, has been colourful <laughs> with people and circumstances. We're a colourful church. As the church body has kept their eyes on him and been dependent in prayer and devotion and for direction with a resultant love, 
support and encouragement, the church has grown spiritually and numerically. The time of rapid growth early this century came as a result of an evangelistic mission, weeks of prayer, both before and after, and times of waiting on God. When the church became inward-looking, concentrated on personalities, and was prayerless, there was little or no growth. Good words from Pastor PJ there. And um, I do thank AD has been in touch with Pastor PJ this week. John, uh, sorry, AJ, is it? PJ, he's John. And given me his details, and I'm going to try and catch up with him the next week or two and see if he might be able to be part of our um, last service here in some way. Um, So that'll be good. Um, So there's a few thoughts from me and from Pastor PJ, John. Um, Just a few to wrap up. There's a lot there. Take what you want. um, Leave what you don't think is useful. But here's a few things of what I think prayer brings from this passage, just summing it up. I think prayer brings clarity of purpose and direction. Prayer brings power for holy living and for lives of love. Like you can't actually love other people without the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's face it, it's just hard. Um, Prayer brings peace to troubled minds. Prayer brings healing to hurting hearts. Prayer, ultimately Christ brings us all these things, but through prayer we access them. Prayer brings freedom from guilt and shame, that assurance that God forgives. The prayer Jesus taught, forgive us our sins as we forgive those. That's because he forgives us. Prayer brings, a prayer is cheap counseling with the creator of the universe. You might ask, well, what are his qualifications? What school did he go to? Um, Look, it is. When I was in India, I I used to find that some of the Christians there, they'd set up like a special room at the back of their church and if they had issues and problems emotionally, psychologically, they couldn't afford counseling psychologists. There weren't even any there in the area. And they'd go into the room at night. It'd be like their prayer counseling room and they'd wrestle with God all night with their problem and come out in the morning hopefully having some peace. If you do need counseling, we do have good counselors here <laughs> and uh, we do have LifeWell, which we have um, very good qualified and gifted counselors and that's uh, really important. But prayer is a way of talking to the creator of the universe, telling him your problems and issues and it's quite cheap, right? He doesn't give you a bill at the end of it. Um, prayer leads to intimacy with God or greater intimacy. Prayer is planted seeds and poisoning weeds that's my little shorthand of saying prayer is about new possibilities and sowing into what God's doing in the future and also about poisoning the weeds of the enemy about praying against uh, the, the, the seeds that the enemy's planting in our lives or in our church and prayer what does prayer bring according to Jesus as we finish prayer brings God <laughs> Jesus said how much more Will God, your Father, give the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, to those who ask Him? So let's pray as we head into communion. And I'm going to pray um, vocally like I am talking now, but I want you to pray. And I'd love you to pray and ask God to give you His Holy Spirit afresh. Pray and ask the Father to give you His Holy Spirit afresh. That might mean that you'll suddenly feel convicted about sin. It might mean that you might need to Say sorry to someone (laughs) or make amends. I don't know. I'm not the Holy Spirit. It might mean that you'll have an increase of joy overflowing. It might mean that you'll have a sense of peace and comfort for a difficult thing you're facing. It might mean that your heart will be relieved of a burden that you're carrying. I'm not sure, but let's trust that, as Jesus said, when we ask our Heavenly Father, 
He won't give us something that is dangerous or harmful. So I invite you to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to fill your life afresh and uh, then we'll share in communion. Lord Jesus, we, we thank you for your model of prayer. Thank you that you are real and earthy and passionate, um, that you didn't care what people thought when you prayed. Uh, you weren't looking for human opinion or approval uh, or you weren't looking to please people when you prayed. Thank you that you are raw and real and earthy and passionate and not afraid of expressing emotion when you prayed. Thank you that you cried out from a heart broken uh, for humanity, that you cried out from a heart that was hurting for, for the lost sheep, for those who were wandering without hope. Thank you that your heart, your, your guts were moved with compassion for humanity and that led you to pray in such a powerful and such a, a passionate way for us. Thank you that your prayers still reverberate, reverberate through the universe, that your prayers are still being answered today, that God the Father is answering your prayer for your church to bring unity, to bring holiness, to, to sanctify us, to, to, to unite us in your love. Thank you that your prayers are still being answered. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that as the Apostle Paul tells you, you intercede for us now, you pray for us. And, and our Heavenly Father, we praise you and we love you and we worship you. And we pray for your grace on our lives today. Lord, our God, our Father, would you uh, give us your Holy Spirit afresh today, Lord? Would you fill our hearts, our lives with your Holy Spirit? Would you let your Holy Spirit bring us the truth of Jesus? Would you let your Holy Spirit make Jesus real to us afresh this morning? As we share in the bread, as we take the cup, would you help us to see with the eyes of faith that though our circumstances may not change, though difficulties will come and may continue, that you've given us yourself. As we hold the bread, as we hold the cup this morning, Lord, would you help us see that you are a God who has come in the flesh. You care about us. You've given us yourself. You've given us your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. So Holy Spirit, come, we pray. Come and bless and strengthen and heal and convict and rebuke and teach and admonish and build up. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Make us holy. Sanctify us. Help our hearts to be filled with love for Jesus and love for one another. Holy Spirit, change us and shape us and make us more and more like Christ. And as we share in the bread, as we share in the wine, may we be filled with praise and reverence and love for God our Father for sending Jesus Christ his Son our Saviour and for giving us his Holy Spirit Amen